Thank you for listening to the Calvary Monterey podcast. Please visit calvary.com to learn more about our church. And visit nateholdridge.com for additional Bible teaching from our lead pastor, Nate Holdridge. Teaching today is our youth pastor, Joshua Scheibler. As you all know, Nate is up in Tahoe enjoying the sun and the high Sierras. And uh, so he asked me just through this time and like other pastors uh, to fill in the teachings. And so I am just so excited to uh, fill in today for this Tuesday night teaching. And I hope just wherever you're at, sitting on your couch or in your bed or on your lazy boy, or even just maybe you're in your car during your lunch break, listening to this Tuesday teaching. I just hope and I pray right now that your heart and your mind is just ready to receive God's word. Um, now, I'm not going to be teaching from Genesis like Nate's been doing. I'm actually going to move to the New Testament and take a little section out of Philippians. And so if you want to get your Bibles ready or kind of turn to that app, uh, that Bible app on your phone, Philippians 4 verses 10 through 13 today, just a, a short section of scripture, um, but I'm just really excited about it. And so um, let's just get on with it. Let's just get into the word as we uh, just enjoy this time together. Okay, so pray with me. And uh, while I'm praying, go ahead and turn there. So Father, I just thank you and I praise you for this just time that we have to read your word, uh, to dig into scripture, to Lord, just Lord, see what you have for us. God, we know that Paul wrote this letter to the Philippian church some 2000 years ago, but we know by the working of your spirit, it's just as applicable to us today. So God, we just give this time to you. Lord, we give this, this teaching to you. Father, I pray and I ask you would look past my inadequacies, my stumbles uh, as a man. I have many, but God, I just pray that I would just be a vessel right now and that your spirit would speak so true to whoever's listening to this. God, I just thank you and praise you for the opportunity we have to read your word and to live as disciples of you, Jesus. Help us to take this in, in your name. Amen. All right. So the Philippians, all right, the, the church uh, in Philippi, Paul loved this church. And if you've ever had the opportunity and hopefully you have to read and study or maybe sit through a teaching and on the book of Philippians, you've seen Paul's heart uh, to these people. He loved them so much. He helped plant that church. Probably many of the, the, the people who went to the church in Philippi were, were people that were converted by the apostle Paul. He discipled many of them. Um, he just had a special place in his heart for this church in Philippi. And so as we come to chapter 4, verse 10, Paul is kind of finishing out his letter and he, he wants to write a little thanks to them, but then explain to them that it's not just about thank you, but it's about the, this, this place that he desires them to be in, this, this condition, this marked kind of identity he, he desires them to be in as Christians living in the city of Philippi some 2,000 years ago. So Paul writes in chapter 4, verse 10, I rejoice in the Lord greatly that now at length you have revived your concern for me. You were indeed concerned for me, but you had no opportunity. Not that I am speaking of being in need, for I have learned in whatever situation I am to be content. I know how to be brought low. I know how to abound. In any and every circumstance, I have learned the secret of facing plenty and hunger, abundance and need. I can do all things through him who strengthens me. Now, as Paul writes this little section, we see here that Paul is really urging them to a certain place. He's urging them um, to a place of, and we see here, contentness. Now he says, I rejoice in the Lord greatly that now at length you have revived your concern for me. 
Now, what he's explaining or what he's saying thank you for, what he's rejoicing in, is the fact that the Philippian church had supported him in so many ways. Um, not just financially, but also spiritually. They had sent brothers to him to, to comfort him and to bring him food and, and just like fellowship during a really hard time where Paul is actually uh, arrested during this time, awaiting to see Nero, the emperor of Rome. And so Paul is just saying, I rejoice greatly because your concern for me has been revived. It hasn't ended. But, you, but then he continues, you were indeed concerned for me, but you had no opportunity. Now, Paul's not saying in a sense that like, you shouldn't be concerned for me. And on the other hand, Paul's not saying and begging for their need, right? We'd never see Apostle Paul do that. But what he's saying here is that you didn't really have a need to be concerned for me because the fact is I have learned something. I've learned something. And, and, and really what his rejoicing is, is not that they were always giving or always like there for him, but that they had learned also just the joy of giving, the joy of, of being of service to someone else, of really being about the kingdom work. Paul, he, he spread the gospel all over the world during this time, all over the known Roman world. And the Philippians just got to be a part of that as they supported financially and spiritually this apostle Paul. So Paul rejoices in that. He's saying like, I'm, I'm thankful for that, but really I, I'm not begging for it. And in a sense, I really didn't have any need for it because the fact is I've learned something. Now, before we move on, I got a little spoiler alert for you, and maybe you, you're grateful for spoiler alert um, alerts. If you're kind of a cinematic fan, you don't ever want to hear how a movie ends until you see it. Um, I, I don't like that. I, I appreciate a YouTuber that says, you know, I'm watching trailers for upcoming movies. They say, hey, spoiler alert, like we're going to tell you what the movie's about. Um, I appreciate when they do that. Now, I'm going to kind of put the spoiler alert out and just say to you, like, this sermon is about contentment. It's about being content and not just contentment for contentment's sake, but being content in the Lord specifically. Now, maybe that rubs you a little wrong. Maybe you're just like, man, I do not like that word. I don't like being challenged in that way. I know I have a hard time with it. Um, maybe some of you out there really deal with anxiety and fear and stress. And you're like, man, I'm never content. That's something that's never that, that doesn't ever define me. Well, hopefully today, and after reading this section of scripture and digging into it, you can come to a place of a little more, a little more understanding and a little more grasp of what it means to be content in the Lord and even adopt some of those practices that Paul lines out for us in your own life to grow and to mature in this contentness in the Lord and really being satisfied in Jesus. Now, this question of basically, what does it take to be content and what does it mean to be content in the Lord? Um, yeah, I'm kind of showing my hand, right, for what this sermon is, but I want you to understand this. I want to build this foundation in you of what it truly means to be content before we really go into the description. Now, uh, the word content or that kind of description of contentness, it kind of comes out uh, in a couple of different ways, but to simplify it, it, and really to us Christians, what it means is a life of satisfaction with one's possessions, status, or situation. So a life of satisfaction with one's possession, status, or situation. So kind of defined simply, just the satisfaction, okay? But now, I don't want this to be um, confused with happiness. Now, happiness can be defined as um, a situation or a feeling that can come and go with every circumstance that kind of comes and goes. Where contentness is, is the satisfaction with all of, of who you are. Happiness is the emotion. 
Happiness kind of comes and goes. It's circumstantial. It's, it just kind of ebbs and flows with what's happening in your life. One of the examples I give to high schoolers that, that I, I enjoy giving, um, maybe they don't, but I enjoy giving it, and I'm sure they've heard me say it more than once, is, is happiness, like I said, is circumstantial. Now, one of the times that you find Joshua Shively most happy in a day is when it's snack time, right? I love to eat and I like good food. And on a day when I'm like, it's a cheat day, I don't care about calories or like what's going into my body necessarily. Um, one of my favorite snacks is a toasted peanut butter, honey and banana sandwich. I know maybe some of you are out there is like, that's disgusting. I know some of you put like peanut butter and pickles together, that's disgusting. But anyway, toasted peanut butter, honey and banana sandwich. Now, as I make that, you know, I got the, the toasted wheat bread. I put a good thick layer of peanut butter on both sides and then I put some honey on both sides and I slice up that banana, slap that sandwich together and I take a big old gooey bite. Now at that moment, I am so stinking happy. Right? I am so happy that peanut butter just tastes good, that salty sweetness, oh my goodness, the texture of the toasted bread. I am just in complete bliss and happiness. Now, what goes with a sandwich like that, a snack like that? Well, a cold glass of milk. I mean, come on, you've, you can't have that kind of snack without having some type of refreshment with it. Maybe you're lactose intolerant, so you go for the almond milk, that's okay. But you go to the fridge, peanut butter's still in your mouth, it's sticky, you gotta drink something, you open up the fridge, and the kids drink all the milk, and there is no more milk. Well, that happiness, that bliss, now just goes to absolute disappointment because water won't do it. Right? Nothing else can wash that peanut butter down like a cold glass of milk. So now I am not happy. You see what I'm saying? You see how that kind of goes just with the moment? It's, it's, that's happiness. That's emotion. That's feelings. Maybe, you know, we're looking at more of a spiritual side of things. You know, you as adults, you, you go to church. You, um, you, you hear, you, know, you kind of uh, get into some fellowship and, and some good talks and conversation with friends. And then you listen to some worship and you, you hear a good teaching that, that um, kind of just makes you happy and feel good. And, and you're like, man, I like being a Christian. And, and you kind of have this moment of happiness, but then you go home and, and you realize you're struggling with your marriage and the kids aren't listening and the bank account isn't as full as you want to. Or, or you know, end of Sunday, you got to look at your job that you don't really like the next day. It's so easy to kind of ebb and flow. It's so easy to, to look at our circumstances and just be emotional with that. And that's not what Paul's talking about here. And that's not what I want to talk about today. As Christians, uh, contentment is, is not the goal, okay? I really want to look at that, that, that even though we're going to be talking about that a lot today, to be content is not necessarily the goal, okay? But rather aligning with God's heart and his will is the goal, okay? With the daily practice of seeking God, spending time surrendering to his will and saying, your will be done on earth, we find contentment with everything else around us. So as Paul lines this out for us, and as we go over this scripture today, the idea is not just happiness, and the idea is not just contentment, but the idea is, is to seek after the Lord. The idea is to align our hearts with his and daily to say, your will be done, God, not my will. I don't want Joshua's kingdom to grow and mature. I want your kingdom to overcome this world, Lord. And that's what really what we want to get to today. Now, looking at the bigger picture, right, and even kind of a 30,000 know, foot, foot view of, of what Paul's talking about here, and even us as humans, because that's what we are, we're humans. I want to look all the way back to the beginning, because the fact is, it's no secret that humans have a hard time being content, like, right? I mean, I think we can all agree with that. The trouble with contentment is a part of our nature. And it is hard to, or it is easy to see that within that nature, we as humans, we're, 
we're hard pressed to be content just in our daily lives. From the very beginning of our creation, we have struggled to see the good in our situation and just exist in that moment. Just be happy, just content in that moment. Look at our genetic father and mother, Adam and Eve. They had it all and in every way that we can perceive, they were absolutely perfect. The human template made in the image of God and living within the Garden of Eden. They were given the task to tend and live within this beautiful creation, loving each other and daily walking with the creator. What a beautiful thing. I love that verse in Genesis and daily they walked with God in the cool of the day. It's, I mean, that just brings me such peace to think about. They didn't have to worry about the economy, about politics, about retirement, social media, self-image. Their time was not taken up every day with the constant bombardment of consumerism, right? Or the tiring pursuit of the American dream. They were given a few daily tasks and God provided them the means to, to accomplish those tasks. And God even said it was good. What a peaceful place to think about, right? But see, we all know the story the the snake enters the scene and Adam and Eve, they, they, they find themselves in a place of, of discontentment with God and what he had given them. They ate the apple being deceived that, uh, or being deceived that they knew better than the creator. They pursued worship of creation rather than worship of the creator God. And this is what mankind has been doing ever since. They pursued a life outside of God's plan and the plan that God had for them. And then that set the stage for generation after generation to continue in the pursuit of what does not fulfill. If this is who we are as humans and built into our nature is to pursue the next best thing, then how do we stop that? Right? Knowing the definition of contentment, knowing that what, what Paul is calling us to, to be and, and knowing what God is calling us to be and yet knowing our nature, how do we stop being discontent? How do we reverse the natural tendency to always want more and never being satisfied? What can you and I do in the little bit of control and the daily choices we have to disobey, disobey our nature to pursue, pursue a life of contentment and peace with our God and creator? How do we do this? How do we disobey our nature? How do we go against what comes natural to us? The complaining, the being discontent, the wanting more, the never being satisfied. I think we can all agree we want contentment with God. We want that. We want a life of satisfaction with Jesus. We want to be at peace and we want to exist in the moment with the God that created us. I think we can all agree that we want that, don't we? Well, as Paul writes this scripture and as we go back to Philippians, out of Genesis, back to Philippians now, we see that Paul wrote a couple things in here as he says that, what, what he, as he describes this place, this thing that marks his life to be content. And the first thing he says is, I have learned. I have learned. Now, this is not Paul, and we don't see him saying that when I became a Christian, I figured it out. Or, hey, in my own strength, and just, you know, pressing through and picking myself up by my own bootstraps, I got this. No, he says, I have learned. Now, this tells me Paul had to go through the hard seasons of life to learn this practice in his life. Contentment is, was not merely a goal or attribute Paul wanted about him. No, he wanted contentment to be a daily practice in his life that both defined him as a disciple of Jesus and his life as a human being. Paul didn't just want people to say, that's a content man. No, he wanted that to be kind of the essence of who he is. By daily practicing a relationship with Jesus, everything else kind of fell into place. 
I believe Paul's example shows us how important it is to daily and personally grow in our relationship with God and in return, learn what true contentment means. Consider this, guys. We cannot treat Christianity like a bulletproof diet or pastime that, was only, that only has so much room in our daily life. As Paul wrote there, like I have learned, and we see Paul's life as example. Other, in other places, he said, imitate me as I imitate Christ. That says to us, and we have to consider that to Paul, this was not just a goal. Because a goal, once you hit that goal, it stops. Once you lose that amount of weight, it, you're done with that diet. Or once you've ran that marathon, right? You've hit those goals. No, he made it a practice. And so we can't consider Christianity some, some diet or some just pastime that only has a little bit of room in our life. No. To learn what it means to be content and even more content in the Lord, we must daily exercise those spiritual muscles. You know, guys, if I hear about one more diet that tells me to put butter in my coffee, I'm going to flip like butter does not belong in coffee. If you're doing that, stop it. Like coffee is coffee. Let it be coffee and drink good coffee. Like it's just, maybe that's spiritual. Maybe it's not, but drink good coffee. The fact is that we as humans, we, we go off of this so easy and we, we fall into it so easily. We can scroll through Instagram and, and, and other social media, uh, you know, devices and, and, um, apps. And we can just see person after person with chiseled six packs and, and toned skin and, and bronze, you know, skin and just a solid jawline. And we can just go, man, I want to be that. And we think, well, that's, that's like a goal of mine. But see, are we willing to go through the practices that person did to, to become that? Are we willing to sacrifice and to basically worship at the gym, the altar of the gym to become and to look like that? And see, as we look at Paul, we go, man, yeah, I want to be like Paul. I want to be content. I want this in my life, but what's it going to take? And see, brothers and sisters, I think as we consider this, as Paul says, I have learned, we have to look at our own Christian walk. I have to look at mine and say, well, what am I willing to do? What practices am I willing to place in my life so that I become closer to God? So that I, as I said here, exercise, I didn't use that word flippantly, but I used it specifically because I want you to understand that exercising means like taking a weak part of something, something where you see in your life that's weak, whether it's spiritual or physical or, or, or mental and saying, I'm going to exercise that part of my life so that it becomes stronger. There's no shortcuts in that, is there? We have to choose those practices. We have to make that choice daily to learn. I found a quote that I think really applies to this. It says, the key to pursuing excellence is to embrace an organic, long-term learning process and not to live in a shell of static, safe mediocrity. Usually, growth comes at the expense of previous comfort or safety. Oh, that's good. That's a good quote. Specifically, organic, long-term learning process. That is the Christian walk. That is Paul saying here as he's basically at the end of his life on house arrest, awaiting to see the, 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 the emperor of Rome. And he's saying, I have learned. Paul had an organic long-term learning process, didn't he? You know, the great theologian, Dr. Seuss actually said, the more that you read, the more things that you know, the more that you learn, the more places you'll go. This is definitely right about Paul, isn't it? As he learned to walk and to be mature and to grow with Jesus each and every day and to be content with where God had him, man, he went all over, didn't he? He traveled the known world preaching the gospel and being all about the kingdom because he learned to be content. 
Now, getting away from Dr. Seuss, continuing with the scripture, the second thing I want to point out is Paul not only says, I've learned, but I've learned in whatever situation to, I am to be content. Whatever situation. Now, Paul lines this out and says that phrase, whatever situation, I want you to think of the, your entire life. I kind of want to put in your mind just the idea that it's, it's whatever comes, whatever happens in your life. And Paul's saying, wherever I've been in my life, whatever's happened in my life, Paul says, I've learned to be content. Just look at the verbiage he used as he describes what, it, what the life or this whatever situation means to him. Brought low, abound, plenty, hunger, abundance, and in need. I mean, that's how Paul describes as he gives us this, this vast contrast between brought low and abound, plenty and hunger abundance and need. He gives us this vast contrast, both sides of that coin saying, wherever I found myself in, whatever God chose to bless me in, whatever situation God chose to put me in, wherever I found myself trusting God, I was content and I am content, Paul says. As Paul lays out these circumstances of life, we must understand that Paul is not giving us a blueprint of what it means to be a super Christian. This isn't the blueprint of like, well, if I find contentment, I will be this amazing super Christian, right? That's not what Paul's saying. But Paul is describing the outcome of a man or woman who has chosen to practice the pursuit of Jesus and in that find contentment and make it a habit in their life. Paul is saying here that that pursuit, that practice the pursuit of Jesus is what brought him to the place of in every situation finding contentment. By making a habit out of, the, of, of contentment, we become more than just a man that is tossed about in the waves of the storms of life. But we become a human led by faith and the only God who has a plan and a purpose for our life. See, the contrast even within that is, is one who, who has a steady heart is not tossed around, is not like driven to and fro by the, the storms of this life. See, a man or a woman, a brother or sister in Christ who has a steady heart they will be content in the circumstances and the circumstances will not change them because they are not placing their trust in a created thing, which are subject to the finite world. Now those created things can be all kinds of stuff, can it? It can be our marriage. Are we placing our trust and our contentment in our marriage? Because that doesn't fulfill, does it? No, even if we have an amazing Christian loving husband or wife, the fact is I can't put my trust, I can't practice a, a daily pursuit of them, can I? No. Can my job fulfill like Jesus? Can my hobby fulfill like Jesus? Can, can reaching a certain physique in my body like bring me like bring me to contentment like contentment like Jesus does? No, it can't. Those things are finite. Those things are always changing. Those things are always shifting. We see that whatever situation, you guys, we have to come to a place of, of understanding where, who we are and understanding who God is so that we can find that contentment each, each and every day. I mean, it's kind of understanding that I'm here. I am a finite being. I will die one day, but God is eternal and he's powerful and he's mighty and he directs my steps. If we go to the Old Testament, I think one of the characters that really shows us this and lived this out would be Job. I mean, think about it. Anybody who had the, the excuse to, to be ticked off at their circumstances and to not be content would be the man, Job. But see, Job understood uh, a human's position like as a finite being and the peace that came with the knowledge that God uh, was in complete control. 
We see this piece in Job's life that he understood like I'm man and you're God. I am not God, you're God. In Job 42.2, he says, I know that you can do all things and that no purpose of yours can be thwarted. We see just the character of Job as he, he lays out in absolute surrender saying, God, I know that you in all your might and all your sovereignty and all your awesomeness can do all things. And that if you have a plan, if you have a purpose for someone's life, it will not be thwarted. I love that. I want that in my life. James chapter one, verse two also says, count it all joy, my brothers, when you meet trials of various kinds, for you know that the testing of your faith produces steadfastness and the steadfastness have it, let it have its full effect that you may be perfect and complete, lacking nothing. Even as James writes out here saying to us, listen, like even in the various kinds of trials, and as he says, various kinds, that means whatever comes your way. Find joy in those moments and understanding that as even as Paul is writing here, as he learned and as he came to this place of learning how to be content in every situation, he also learned the fact that as he trusts in the Lord, and he found that contentment in the Lord, no matter high or low, those vast contrasts of abundance and a need, whatever he found himself, he also knew that God in, in all his glory, as he walked him through those trials, Paul would come out the other side as James attests here in chapter one, verse two, that through that trial, you would produce steadfastness. That steadfastness would have its full effect and, and that you would be perfect and complete, lacking nothing. See, Paul understood that. James understood that. You guys, we need to understand that. That the trials are going to come and go. But see, if we're trusting the Lord, if we're putting our faith and our trust and, we, and, and before the trial comes, we're daily pursuing Jesus and finding our satisfaction and our completeness and our contentness in Him, then when the trial does come, we come out the other side yeah, maybe a little beaten, maybe a little bruised, but we come out the other side, uh, a more completed being before our God, more, more adapt, more, more battle, like solid as it were to, to, for the next battle that God brings our way, whatever it may be like it, we need to be prepared for it. And God lays that out for us. And Paul sees that Job saw that James sees that, and that should speak to us. Now, the third thing I want to point out here and really kind of come to the logical question is, all right, Josh, you're laying all this out for us and, and you've given us the definition. You, you give us Paul's example of that he learned to in a, whatever situation to be content. Well, how do we do that? How do you and I do that in our daily walk in the 21st century? How do we do that? Now, Paul here says, though, that I have learned the secret. So to ask that question logically, yeah, how do we do this? Paul says, well, I've learned the secret. I want to teach you. I want to tell you. I want to disciple you. And as he speaks to the Philippians, that's what he's doing here. I want to disciple you and what the secret is. And the secret is I can do all things through him who strengthens me in verse 13. I can do all things through him who strengthens me. The contentment Paul is describing here only comes from a real, personal, active, and thriving relationship with Jesus. So to ask that question, how do we do this, Josh? How do I find contentment in my life? How do I be content before my Lord? It's a daily, real, personal, active, and thriving relationship with Jesus, you guys. And in that, then we can have the trust and we can have the faith and we can believe with, with, like, with all of us, with everything we are, I can do. I, I can do all things through him who strengthens me. I can find contentment in my life. My own personal example of this, you guys, and just kind of to share is, is that as I have a daily, as I've daily learned and grown closer to Jesus, I've experienced kind of an awakening of what 
is real and important in this life. The understanding that I am not in control of my life and that ultimately God plans my steps. And when I mean like what's real, it's, it's the idea that, that, that God has given us so much just in what we have. And so to, to really look through the lens of that as God would want to see our life, it's understanding what is truly important. First, a relationship with my God and my Savior, Jesus. Second, that translate with, with ministering and pastoring and, and partnering with my wife in this ministry that he's given us. Third is to pour out to my children and to give them an example of God's love and grace and mercy and, and even in a sense judgment because God's judgment is even right. And then fourth, it's to pour out to the ministry that God has given us, which is at Calvary Monterey, it's the youth ministry. It's, it's looking at what's right. It's looking at what's important. And, and in a sense, as I've grown close to the Lord and kind of the secret of doing all things, I can do all things through him who strengthens me. It's understanding what's important. Now, there is a peace in personally coming to understanding that the God of the universe who created all reality cares about you and actually knows absolutely everything about you. In my own personal walk, it's, it's coming to the realization that, that God is, is he's God. <laughs> I mean, you got to think about it. He's either sovereign or he's not. There's no middle ground in sovereignty, is there? There's no middle ground in all powerful. <laughs> There's just not. He was either the creator of the universe and all reality or he's not. There's no middle ground in those things. And see, I think a lot of Christians walk around not fully understanding and not fully accepting and not fully embracing what it means to worship the sovereign and almighty God that we worship. Our God is a powerful God. And see, when we come to that realization, there is such a peace, there's such a contentment in that because my God is in control and that God that created all reality actually knows me and cares about me. Like that's a big thing. Ultimately, in my own personal walk, you guys, it really is um, kind of taken from John chapter 3, verse 30, where John the Baptist says, He must increase, but I must decrease. It cannot be about Joshua Shively's kingdom. It has to be about God's kingdom on earth as it is in heaven. And I have to submit myself to that, absolutely surrender to it daily, to find that contentment in the Lord in whatever situation I find myself in. Now also consider Christians because we do live in this finite world and we are flesh and we are, we are sinful that, <laughs> that the pull of, of momentary happiness or worldly contentment does not ever fully, fully go away the side of heaven, does it? We always have the pull. You will always feel the, the, the striving, the American dream, as it were, the, the next best thing, the better model. Um, even within ministry, it's just because I work in an amazing church and I, I do a, a ministry that I absolutely love. You don't think sometimes I wonder, like, am I going to be a youth pastor till I'm 40? Like, is that really going to happen? <laughs> the fact is, I just need to be content right here and right now. And so the fact is, it, these things will never go away. But what I find amazing in being a Christian and following Jesus is that, that the process of, of personally walking with Jesus each day as you personally choose to, to, to grow in that relationship with Jesus as I personally choose to grow in that, Jesus every day becomes more attainable. He becomes more beautiful and more personal each and every day that we pursue him. And the things of this world that can pull us and, 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 and bind us, those things, they kind of become strangely just fade and they, they just strangely kind of fade away in the light and the beauty of Jesus. So even though those things will always be there, as we pursue Jesus each day and he just becomes more and more precious to you and I, as our savior just becomes more and more our worship each and every day, 
those things of the world just kind of fade away each and every day. As we continue through this, we have to contrast um, and we have to look at, at John 15, 5, where Jesus says, for without me, you can do nothing. So in Philippians 4, Paul says, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. And Jesus says in John 15, 5, for without me, you can do nothing. Basically saying with Jesus, we can do all things. Without him, we, can do, we can't do anything. With Jesus, we can do all things. Without him, we can do nothing. The truth, you guys, the truth as Christians, without Jesus, we become discontent. We just do. We become discontent. This is truth. This is like, this is the, the idea of if we're not, we're not pursuing Jesus, we're, we're backsliding. If we're not going up that, that hill and we're not hiking up that hill pursuing God, then we're sliding down it. And so if we're not pursuing Jesus, we become discontent. We become discontent with ourselves and our self-image. This is easy to see in just, again, our, our, our social media age of, of constantly comparing to others. We forget who and why we were created in that discontentment of self. Our purpose becomes to please others rather than God. And we wear the burden of fitting the mold of whatever consumerism says we should be. And that is such a heavy burden to bear, you guys. That is not a burden that Jesus ever wanted us to bear as Christians, to think we always have to be fitting that mold of what the world says we should be. We become discontent with our families and our lives without Jesus, always looking for the better model, the better job, the better life. We become discontent with our faith and, our, and, and the plan God has for us without Jesus. We can even become bitter and discontent at God himself without that daily walking with Jesus. In a constant place of questioning God, and the purpose he's created us for. The fact is, without Jesus, we become a man or woman who allows the circumstances, waves, and storms of life to guide us towards a life of stress, confusion, and wreckage. This should not be the mark of a Christian. But see, the mark of a Christian, the life that should define you and me, brothers and sisters, is a life of satisfaction with Jesus. I know that's simple, but it's a life of satisfaction with Jesus. In that, we are content and not discontent. Now, as we've gone through this scripture and as we kind of wrap this up, I've got a couple applications for you. Um, these are more questions. And these are, these are questions, these application questions are more for you and Jesus. Okay? Now, I'm going to ask them. But I want you to write them down. I want you to put them in your notes on your iPhone if you're listening. But the idea here is that between you and Jesus, when when you have a quiet time, when you have a devotional time in the morning, or, or if you take some time throughout a day and you, you sit in some silence and solitude, ask yourself these questions before Jesus. Let him be in on that conversation and see what comes up. The first one, are you sitting under the guiding and teaching hand of Jesus? Are you sitting under the guiding and teaching hand of Jesus? Again, Paul had to learn through a faith walk that involved amazing highs and wretched lows. I mean, that really translates to you and I that, that life can be tough, can it? Life can be hard. There can be really amazing seasons and there can be really difficult seasons. But see, are you sitting under Jesus's guiding and teaching hands so that you can learn as Paul learned through his walk? Are you da daily allowing Jesus to walk and teach you how to practice content, uh, contentment uh, through every circumstance of life? And basically saying, you guys, that every, every one of us is a disciple under something or someone. We are, we're, we're made to be. As humans, we are made to be taught. We are made to learn. We are made to be formed into something. It's the way God made us. And so who are you discipling under? 
Who are you allowing to teach you? What are you allowing to disciple you? And I hope it's Jesus. Second one, second question. How do you handle the whatever situations of life? As Paul said, in whatever situation I find contentment, how do you handle the whatever situations of life? How do you handle this? In other words, and really what I want to get at is what habits surface in your life when you find yourself in abundance and what habits surface in your life when you find yourself in need? Both sides of that, right? Both sides of that can, can, can bring up isms and habits and things that either draw us closer to God or further away into fleshly discontentment. Personally, in abundance, when I find myself in a good place, my marriage is going good, the ministry is rocking, got a little bit of money in the bank account, my kids are actually obeying. When I find myself in that abundance, in all honesty, I can grow apathetic. I can grow lazy or lose my daily drive to seek God. It's almost like outside the battle when I'm just kind of sitting there chilling. I, why do I need to seek God each day? We're good. Me and God, he's my homeboy. We're good. The fact is I lose that drive in, in a place of abundance. And then in a place of need, that's where I really need to be aware of the temptations that bring me to the basic nature of thinking. I need something other than what God has given me. In need, I start kind of stressing. and I start having anxiety thinking, I need to do more. And maybe God hasn't really given me everything I need. I start to think to myself, did God really say that if I lust after that woman in my heart, that, that I'd commit adultery? Is that really what God said? Very similar to what the snake said to Eve. Did God really say you'll die if you eat of the apple? So you guys, in the whatever situations of life, that's when we really need to, to, to ask ourselves that question. How do I handle this? Because if we're not handling it by being content in Jesus and practicing that daily pursuit of him, then those isms, those habits will surface, whether in abundance or need, and can drive us away from God. Last question. Do you have the desire of knowing the secret, I can do all things through him who strengthens me? Paul said, I've learned the secret. I can do all things through him who strengthens me. Do you have a desire to learn that secret? Do you have a desire to know that secret? This is a question that urges you to look inwardly, urges me to look inwardly. And ask yourself, what are my desires in this life? What truly do I desire? If I'm honest with myself, if Joshua Shively is honest with himself and honest before his God, what do I truly desire in this life? And do I desire to know the truth that I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me? In a sense, when I look down the road a year or five years or 10 years, and I see myself in those times, who am I? Who am I in those moments? Who am I in the future as I look down that? Where, where did my directory, where, where did my practices now, uh, what do those make me to be in the future? Simply, am I more like Jesus? Is my life marked with peace and serenity, found only in a life that's connected to him? Or do I see a life of burden that is full of stress, always seeking the next best thing, striving to find focus and purpose, purpose never reaching the peace we find in only a daily walk with him. See, if I don't desire to know the truth that I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me, then there's something missing. There's something wrong. There's something off. This is the truth that I want to find in my life. I personally want to be a man of God's kingdom work, knowing that within Joshua Shively, within my strength, within my flesh, uh, I can do nothing of eternal value or substance. But within Jesus, within a life content in him and only in him, I can do all things he calls me to do. 
So to conclude this message, guys, and to say, say it simply and plainly, as Paul concluded, I can do all things through him who strengthens me. We can live a life that is not, that is not overtaken by consumerism, social media, or the worries of the world as we cling to a real, personal, active, and thriving relationship with Jesus. You and I can live a life that is marked by contentment and the plans and purposes God has for us. Wherever we find ourselves, whatever situation God allows in our life, we can find that peace. We can look down the barrel of any oncoming storm of life and stand firm in the truth that I can do all things through him who strengthens me. Hold fast to this truth, brothers and sisters, and allow the Spirit, the Holy Spirit, to do a mighty and real work within you so that you can daily learn the practice of pursuing contentment in Jesus. Father, we come before you right now. I just thank you again for your word, how real, how true, how powerful it is. I ask and I pray, Lord, that you would just speak. Lord, your Holy Spirit would move in the hearts and mind of whoever listened to this, whoever's watching this video. God, that they would be changed. They would be just urged, Lord, and that you would pursue them in your love and your grace. We thank you. We praise you, Lord. In your name, amen. Thank you for listening. If you would like more teachings and information about Calvary Monterey, please visit calvary.com. You can also find books, teachings through the Bible, and articles from our lead pastor at nateholdridge.com. Thanks again for tuning in. See you next week.